The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In the last episode, Tim explored the greatness of God in Revelation 1. Our response is simple but challenging. Be a faithful witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a call to action. In this episode, Tim covers verses 9 through 20 of chapter 1. He begins by clarifying John's audience and his example of faithful obedience. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Again, over and over again. I got all this scripted. So when you see all this trouble, just know I'm still in control. But know I have for you to be a king and a priest. I have for you to be a witness. That's what I'm asking you to do. Don't just check out and wait for me to handle things. Who was and is to is to come the Almighty. So even though it looks like everything's spinning out of control, don't forget all authority is mine and I'm still the Almighty. So, verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion. So, again, got believers, and these aren't just believers. These are believers who've been a companion with John in three things. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the patience or endurance of Jesus Christ. John is writing to these people. He said, I have been a martyr. I have been a witness. At this point in time, probably his 11 fellow apostles are all dead. This is late in his life. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. So I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, the martyr, martyreo of Jesus Christ. So John was being a witness, as God has called us all to do. He was being a witness for the word of God. He was being a king. He was being a priest. And because of that, the world exiled him. Now, Patmos means my killing. It's a sterile island. There's no trees growing on it. It's about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. It has a total elevation of about 800 feet. And it is where the Romans sent people when they sent them in exile. One of the places. Exile is a form of execution. It's a form of death. Socrates was offered exile from Athens... Or hemlock. He chose hemlock because he thought that was the lesser of the two evils. When Adam and Eve fell that day, they experienced death because they were exiled from the garden. We as humanity have been exiled every, ever since. And our, one of our main longings is to get back to that garden. So he's on Patmos because he has endured the tribulation patiently for the kingdom. And he says... Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Again, this whole idea of repetition over and over again. I started all this, I'm going to finish it. This is all one historical story, and I'm in charge of the story. I'm the author. I know the, end, I know the ending because I wrote the ending. Don't despair. I'm in charge of all these things. That's interesting, he says, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
if you go to Patmos today, which I have not done, if you go, apparently they point you a cave and say John was in this cave when he got the revelation. And maybe he did. So a lot of times those traditions carry on faithfully for a long time. But it's interesting, he says he was in the Spirit because we opened and we saw the seven spirits before the throne of God. And here once again is the connection between heaven and earth. Last time we talked about Michael coming and helping another angel escape the princes of Persia and they fought for 21 days because God had dispatched an angel, this time a spirit from heaven, to come and explain something to Daniel because Daniel had asked for an explanation. And he's fighting the prince of Persia. And Daniel is serving the king of Persia. And so somehow there's an authority structure on earth and it's mirrored by an authority structure on heaven. And here we see the seven spirits before the throne of God and the spirit is also there with John. So there's a much bigger connection between heaven and earth than we really think. And that's one of the things I hope we can really ingest as we go through Revelation because... It's real. And hopefully this idea of being a king and a priest will get more real to us as we go through because that's where we are. And I heard a trumpet, like a, uh, sorry, a loud voice like a trumpet and it said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia. Again, this Roman province. To these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I mentioned this last time, but you're actually going in a clockwise circle as you go through these churches. Ephesus is at the kind of the southwest. It's the trading center, the trading port, and it's the first one. And then you go all the way around to Laodicea. They're, they're actual physical cities. We'll, we'll see those cities here shortly. I want you to hear this. And I want you to write it down. Then I want you to send it to them. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded around the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes a flame of fire. Now I just want to stop here and dwell on this, because some of us in here have white hair. (laughs) Are you ashamed of your white hair? You shouldn't be ashamed of your white hair. Or would Jesus have, have show himself with white hair if it wasn't a cool thing to have? <laughs> really? Now, come on. His, aim, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So here's John. And John was the guy who called himself the beloved disciple. The night before Jesus was betrayed... He's at the Last Supper and he's leaning on Jesus' breast. He has a special relationship with Jesus. And he sees Jesus in this circumstance and falls down like a dead man. Now John was on the Mount of Transfiguration. They fell down then too. So when we see Jesus in his glory, I don't think there's going to be high fives. (laughs) I think we're going to fall down. And this is one of the reasons God masks himself in our world. If he didn't, 
No one would have a choice but to fall down. No one would have an option but to do anything than confess Jesus is Lord because His presence is so overwhelming. So He has masked His presence where it's still obvious the heavens declare the glory of God. You look around everywhere and there's order and and there's the image of God in everything we see, but we're not compelled to see it like we are when we have His physical presence. He has in His right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance is like the sun. And we're going to see this more as we go through, but when we get to the end and there's a new heaven and a new earth, it says that Jesus is so bright you don't need the sun. There's a new energy source and it's a person because the sun is just a consuming fire. And it's actually decaying over time. Jesus and God is a consuming fire that never decays. He's like the sun in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, because I am that guy who loves you. I'm the first and the last. I got all this under control. I'm the one who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to two things, Hades and death. Now this is very interesting. Hades and death, he has the keys to This is a pretty big deal. Hades and death are two things we think about a lot. What are these things? Well, let's look at Revelation 6 and verse 8. This is another place where Hades and death are discussed in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6 verse 8, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. So these are the horsemen of the apocalypse. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So Hades and death are connected in the four horsemen. Let's look at Revelation 20, verse 13. So this is now at the end of the Revelation. It says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So somehow... Death and Hades are, are connected and have the dead in them. Now, if we went through and did a full study, we could use a whole class period. But in very short order, Hades is a Greek word that actually comes out of Greek mythology. And interestingly enough, the New Testament takes this word that comes out of Greek mythology and just incorporates it in as a word that's the equivalent of the Old Testament word Sheol. Sheol in the Old Testament is used for the place of the dead, the grave, death itself. It's used in multiple ways. But one of the ways is the place of the dead. In Acts, you actually see a quote from the Old Testament that takes the word Sheol and replaces it with the word Hades. Now, Hades had two compartments. One is called Tartarus, and actually the word Tartarus shows up in the Bible as well. And one was Elysian Fields, uh, and it's kind of the paradise compartment. And apparently that model is accurate enough where the Bible just took it in and used it. So it's a place. But look where this place ends up. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So we usually think of Hades as being hell, hell being the lake of fire, and that's not accurate. 
The lake of fire is actually the one thing that remains. Hades is a temporary thing. And in fact, when you see the word hell in the New Testament, it's usually a translation of uh, the word Gehenna, which is actually something else. It's a valley in Jerusalem. You can go there. I've, I've been to hell before. I've actually stood in Gehenna. And it's the place where the refuse and the trash and the carcasses were put, and they always had it on fire to clean it. So it's a picture of death. It's a picture of the ongoing fire and worms cleansing the death. And, and it's a picture of this is what sin gets you. It gets you this kind of picture. And, and that, that picture can apply to multiple things. But what happens to death and Hades is they're ultimately dispatched into the lake of fire. Why? What does that mean about sin and death? I'm not sin and death, death and Hades. There are no more. They're temporary. There are no more. So when Jesus says, I have the keys, I think it's kind of like when you watch a basketball game. And they start off and they'll say, here's the keys to the game. And what do they list when they say that? Yeah, you're rebounding or something like that. Well, why are they saying that? This is how you win, right? If they'll do these things, they win. If they don't do these things, they'll lose. If they do these things, they'll win. If they don't do these things, I know how to win. I know how to dispatch these guys. I have authority over sin and death. Is that a big deal? I mean, who here likes death? Anybody here for death? Death is the ultimate, it's the last enemy to be vanquished. And not only death, but the place that death is associated with. They both go into the lake of fire. So, there's going to be a lot of death that we're going to see in this book of Revelation. Lots and lots of it. Large swaths of the earth are going to die. What should we never forget? Jesus has the key to death and Hades. This is just part of the game unfolding. He's the first and the last. He was, He is, He is to come. The ultimate outcome is not in doubt, even though it may feel like it's in doubt. There's going to be tribulation in this world. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficulty. And as that difficulty unfurls, we can't forget where we're headed and what's going to take place. Verse 19, write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So write down what you've seen. Write down what is. Write down what's going to come. You see the parallel? Jesus was, is, is to come. And he's going to tell us what was, show us what is, and show us what is to come. And John's going to write that down. History is as much of God as God is of history. It's all a package because God is in control. He created, he created history, he's going to see that history turns out. And it's going to turn out with a resolution. He's going to have a resolution that we all like. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the messengers or the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So once again, we see a connection between heaven and earth and God is holding these messengers in his hand. Now, I don't really know about these messengers. We know the ecclesia was a gathering. We know that these churches had uh, uh, elders plural. But apparently there's also a spokesman who is going to be the one who reads this letter that has a particular elevated status in God's mind. And he's holding them in his hand. 
And that's, that's an encouraging uh, idea, isn't it? You know, I've got the whole world in his hands. I'm oh, sorry, he's got the whole world in his hands, old spiritual song. But he's got these stars in his hand, and he's holding them. And he's got the lampstands there, the churches, and they're right there in heaven with him. And somehow there's a connection between the physical church on the ground and what God is looking at in heaven. You know, the Scripture tells us that the angels watching over our children are in the presence of God looking in His face. There's a, there's a real connection that we're living on a daily basis between us and our kingship and our priesthood and God. Hebrews tells us we should daily enter the tabernacle that's in heaven. And the, what we should go and do there is ask for help when we need it. And what we should do there is ask the high priest to sprinkle our conscience so we can be cleansed, so instead of bearing guilt, we can go and serve. That's the, We're supposed to do that daily on an ongoing basis because that tabernacle in heaven is real and we can go there at any time. So we're kings spiritually and we're supposed to live it physically in this world. Just like there's a star in heaven, there's a candlestick in heaven, and there's a real place on earth where that's being manifest. And bringing heaven and earth together is ultimately going to take place in the new earth. We're going to see heaven comes to earth. That's going to be the final resolution of history. That's going to be the most exciting thing we've ever seen. Meanwhile, we're supposed to be bringing heaven to earth because we are a king in God's administration, which is not of this world, but we're in this world. We are a candlestick and a star in heaven but we're to be doing our job on earth. It's pretty cool, isn't it? What a linkage we get to make if we're aware. And how do we make that linkage? Be a witness. Hear, understand, do. In the station that we're given, can you hear, understand, and do in a station you're not in? Can you hear, understand, and do in a role you don't have? Can you hear, understand, and do in a place you don't live? You hear, you understand, you do right where you are. And when we do that, we're doing something phenomenal. We're doing something amazing. We're doing something that is as incredible as this book of Revelation. We're apocalyptic. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing book. And I pray as we go through this, you'll just energize us to be kings and to be priests in your kingdom and to bring heaven to earth in our realm because we're living as witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I'm having the time of my life going through this. (laughs) This is so much fun. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.